Um, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you again. Um, as Stuart already mentioned, we were going to be uh, meeting for church camp this weekend. Um, and as a result, there was a, a gap in our sermon roster. Um, and so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the, the topic of holiness. Uh, so let's come before our perfect and holy God and ask uh, that he would work in us through his word uh, to transform us to be more like his son. Father, we thank you that you are perfect and holy. And even though you are so perfect and holy, uh, you are also gracious, merciful and compassionate that you would consider us a people who have intentionally rebelled against you, chosen to live our own way. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you had a plan to call and save a people for yourself, that we might be holy and blameless before you. And we pray that through the ministry of your word, by your spirit this morning, uh, that you might be transforming us uh, to reflect your character. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So during this uh, pandemic time, I know there's some people who are missing a number of certain things, and missing some of the normal routines, but I've also seen plenty of people who are actually enjoying this time. I've seen people say, I love the fact that I can just spend all day in my pyjamas, or I don't need to worry about my hair or makeup or any of those types of things. Now, what it's been great to see as we gather together on Zoom on a Sunday morning is that um, people still are making an effort to get dressed up. Uh, they're wearing the same sort of thing they would do if they were physically meeting together on a Sunday morning. It certainly happens in our house. Our girls love to choose their dresses for the day. In fact, Kenzie's been doing that every day of the week and probably is better dressed during this time than she normally would be. But I want you to think ahead to a time when we will be able to start to gather together for our services again or return to work for those who are unable to work at their workplaces at the moment. What does it look like to get ready to go to church or to go to work or to go to whatever it is that you normally do on a regular basis? I'd imagine you probably shower or bathe uh, in some sense. Uh, you might do your hair, you might shave depending on gender or situation. Um, you might have breakfast, might do all of these things. And I'm sure it'll vary the time commitment from person to person. Um, some short period of time to do all those things, some a really long period of time. But the point is, we all do it. All of us do these things. I don't think I've ever come to church on a Sunday morning to find everyone there in their pyjamas with their hair everywhere, with a massive stench in the room. No, it's, it's kind of like we consider these things to be necessary to, to get our externals ready and prepared before we go anywhere. Now, don't hear me wrong. I think it's good. We should do that. We should present ourselves neatly and tidily and have good hygiene. I encourage all of those things. I don't want to go back to stinky church when we can start gathering together again. But we seem to regard preparing our externals as essential, non-negotiable. We have a fear or shock of the idea of someone seeing us before we've prepared ourselves like that. But how much time do we commit to 
preparing or investing on the purification of our inner selves, of working on our our spiritual life, on, on our heart. Because as a Christian, it shouldn't sit well that we regard the external preparation as a necessity, but somehow the spiritual or the internal might be seen as a optional or an occasional. We don't like it, people to see us unprepared physically, but somehow we might seem okay with the idea that we're not as prepared spiritually as we could be. But why, why would that even be, be the case? Now, possibly one reason might be is that holiness isn't kind of the buzzword of the century. It's not a word that we hear people use a lot. It's not the popular word. But as Christians, we're not called to be on trend We are called to be faithful and obedient. Holiness isn't a side issue or a optional pursuit of the superior or elite Christians. Rather, what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see that before the foundation of the world, God planned and chose us for the purpose that we would be holy and blameless before him. So today we're looking at that holiness. We're looking at that holiness for which God called us before the foundation of the world, And the outline is as simple as it possibly could be. We're looking at the what of holiness, the why of holiness, the how of holiness, and I suppose the now of holiness. What do we do in response to this message? So firstly, the the what of holiness. Now, it might be a little foolish for me to just launch in presuming that if I say the word holy or holiness, that we're all on exactly the same page. In fact, if anything, in my 10 years of pastoral experience, I've found that some of the most common words that we use in Christian circles, when you ask people to define them, they either struggle to do so or actually come up with a definition that's very different in the way in which the Bible uses it. Fortunately, holiness tends not to be one of those words. People tend to have a pretty good grasp of what this word means. But I thought, let's come up with a good definition, a good clear one. So I pulled out Millard Erickson's Concise Dictionary of Theology. I thought, this is going to give me a good, clear definition I can bring before everybody. And I got a bit disappointed because there wasn't one entry for holiness. There were three. There was an entry for holiness. There was an entry for Christian holiness and an entry for the holiness of God. And I wasn't so sure about the separation of those three things, but But what was consistent amongst each of those three was this idea of being set apart, of otherness and of purity. And so when we speak of God as being holy, we speak of God as being other or completely different than all of creation, being completely perfect and pure in all that he is and therefore as a result in all that he does. And because he is holy, and because he has set us apart for himself through Jesus Christ, then he calls us, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy, for 
I am holy. Now, when we first come to faith in Christ, we are justified. That is, we are declared right in his sight. We are given an identity, but in his sight, we are declared both righteous and holy. That's our identity. But the gradual process of the outworking of that righteousness and holiness is an ongoing thing. And it will be until the day we see Jesus face to face. It's a term which we call sanctification. If it was a real word, you could say our holification, because they come from the same root words. Wherever you read holy, sanctification, saints in the Bible, they all come down to the same root Greek word underlying every one of them. Now, we should be growing in holiness. It's part of that purpose for which God chose us before the foundation of the world. It is both the evidence of God at work within our lives, but it also provides us with a, with a sense of our assurance, knowing and seeing that God isn't at work within us. But sometimes we get frustrated because we don't grow at the same rate as one another. We see another Christian who seems to be just going great guns. They're growing at a rate far beyond what we're experiencing. And we can get a little bit discouraged. But we're not called to compare ourselves to one another. Sometimes those different speeds of growth is just the plan of God and his will and purposes for that person. Certainly we need to acknowledge there are times that the speed or if the hindrance to our holiness might actually be our own rebellion or our own poor decisions. But it's just not wise to compare ourselves to one another because God's plans for one another are different. It's kind of like comparing two children saying, well, this one's this age, this one's this age. They should be doing exactly the same thing. And people with children or who've seen children know that just doesn't work that way. For example, our Kenzie, who is three years old, can do some physical things that Miller, who's five-year-old, is not able to do. But then also, on the other hand, when Miller was two years old, she's able to do some things that Kenzie, now at three-year-old, isn't able to do either. If there's any case to be put forward to making a comparison, the only comparison we should make is between ourselves and God. Not just to make us feel bad about how far we fall short, but to think, this is my aspiration. This is what I'm heading towards. I want to be, as much as possible, a reflection of the God who loved me and saved me. But as with anything that we look at, we'll only determine how important something is to us, depending on the question of why. Why is holiness an issue? Why is it important? So that's our question. It's the why of holiness. Does holiness matter? Is it an optional add-on package for superior Christians to, to embrace? Now, presuming that a Christian has fully understood the gospel, that should seem like a unnecessary question to ask. We've already seen in the introduction that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world for that set purpose that we might be holy and blameless before him. Or as Peter outlines, after he's given an indication that it is, it is God's desire that all would come to repentance and faith, knowing there is a day coming in which he will judge the world, the living and the dead, and that all of the world will be consumed by fire, he then goes on to say in 2 Peter 3.11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, 
What sort of people ought you to live in lives of holiness and godliness? He says, in light of the fact that all of us are going to be judged, in light of the day, everything's coming to an end, how do we live in this world? We live lives of holiness and godliness. Just think about the gospel itself. The gospel is about what God has done in Jesus to deal with our sin. So if our sin was so repulsive and offensive that it required the death of God's son, Jesus Christ, on a cross as a substitute on our behalf, then how unthankful would it be for us to want to continue in sin? How much more offensive is it to be aware of how offensive our sin is and still continue to do it after recognizing that? So firstly, growing in holiness is both plan of God and the evidence of our salvation. That enough should be enough to motivate us. But we've got three more we're going to look at this morning. The second one comes from our reading we had before the sermon from Hebrews 12, 14, which said, Without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. Now, as Christians, or as we would say, as disciple-making disciples, it should be our desire that every single person would see and know the Lord. And our character, therefore, should be consistent with our message. It doesn't make much sense to speak about the good news of a perfect and holy, loving God who has saved us and how he's deserving all of our, our honour and respect if the way in which we live suggests that he's not worthy of our honour and respect, that he's not worthy of our obedience. We want God to be glorified in absolutely everything. To give God glory is for his name, his character to be made known without holiness, which is, which is his character. Without that on display, nobody will see the Lord. He will not be glorified. His character will not be made known. Some have said holiness is like a lighthouse. It makes Jesus attractive even from afar. So our why are because it's part of God's plan, because we want others to see the Lord, and thirdly, because growth in holiness will make you more sensitive to sin, both your own sin and the sin of others. Now, anyone who's done any travelling around the world will realise that in certain parts of the world, some things which are regarded as normal, everyday, non-offensive within Australia are actually deemed to be inappropriate or offensive in other parts of the world. It could be something as simple as showing a little bit of ankle or eating particular types of food, which are all perfectly fine in Australia. But you go to some countries and there's shock. There is offensively offensiveness. How could you do that? No, it's so built into their culture. This is right. This is normal. And in the same way, when we come to embrace the perfect and holy God and we start to be transformed by his holiness, the more sensitive we become to our own sin when things fall outside of the holiness of God, that we also become more aware of the sinful state of those around us, but also 
where they're headed, their, their eternal state, their eternal destination. So as we grow in holiness, and it makes us more sensitive towards sin, it actually increases our pursuit of discipleship, both to see other Christians and ourselves grow to maturity in Christ, but also it gives us a deeper heart for the lost who presently don't know Christ, who are separated from the hope that is available in Jesus. So God has chosen us for holiness. We want others to see the Lord. And because of its sensitivity to sin, it increases our discipleship and evangelism. The fourth of our whys is, comes from the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, we've seen that God has chosen us, that we might be holy and blameless before him in Ephesians. Romans 8.29 says that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He planned beforehand to make us in the character more and more like Jesus. Part of the evidence that we have been saved is that growth in holiness, purity of heart. You could say that Christians by nature are a pure-hearted people. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Now, I wonder what it is that you most look forward to in eternity. Is it that there won't be any more sickness, death, or sadness? I look forward to those things. But how much more that we would see God face to face. Or as John says in one of his letters, we will see him and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Remember Moses? In Exodus chapter 33 at the tent of meeting where it says, and God would speak to him as a man speaks to his friends. But for Moses, that still wasn't enough. He wanted more. He says, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't see my face, but I'll, I'll go past there. So for those who are pure in heart, we will see God in a way that even Moses never experienced on this earth. We have a love of God. We have a love to grow in holiness that will lead us to pursue holiness with all of our heart. We do it because it's God's plan for us. We do it because we want others to see the Lord. We want to grow in holiness because we want to be more sensitive to our sin and others that we might increase in discipleship and evangelism. And because we want to see God face to face. That's a pretty big why. So let's take a look at the how. Before we look at the how, I think there's something important we need to say about the nature of holiness. Often you hear this word used, holistic meaning something that is in its entirety. And our holiness is supposed to be holistic. It is not just one component of our life that God wants his holiness to be molding and shaping, but every single part of it. I think so often when people hear the word holiness, they associate with external actions, moral decisions, good ethics, good behavior. But remember the way that Jesus dealt with some of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says from verse 25 to 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like Jesus goes straight for the juggler. He says, I don't care how good and perfect your externals are. I don't care how much people think highly of your morals, of your ethics. If your heart on the inside is evil and wicked, it's worth nothing to me. Thomas Watson, a Christian from many years ago, when he's commentating on the Beatitudes in, the, in Matthew, he says this. He says, A man may be wonderfully moralized, but yet a tame devil. Morality may damn him as well as vice. A vessel may be sunk with gold, just as well with dung. See what he says? He's like, yeah, so what? You can be perfectly moral, but still be greatly under the power of Satan. You can still be condemned just as badly as a, as a good moral ethically person, as a deeply sinful and wicked person. Externals are not the definitive sign of the sanctifying work of God. In J.C. Ryle's excellent book on holiness, these are the things he said are the marks of a holy person. Having the mind of Christ, shunning sin, working to be like Christ, humble and merciful, pure in heart, having the fear of God, being faithful and having a mind that is renewed by scripture. Each of those things are essentially a byproduct of our union with Christ. Our holiness begins through our union with Christ and our holiness continues through our union with Jesus. Remember when you were growing up and your mum or dad says, don't hang around with those kids. They're a bad example. They're going to influence you in the wrong direction because they understood that whoever you spend time with, the things that you invest your time in will shape and form your attitudes, your hearts, and your actions. The things that you give your time and attention to, they transform us. And who or what you devote most of your time to is a reflection of what your heart loves most. Remember what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it spring the issues of life. We need to, in the, in the practice of strengthening our union with Christ and growing in holiness through prayer, through the word, and through our fellowship with one another. Through prayer, just like David prayed in, in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, petitioning God, God, you are perfectly holy, praising him for his character but also asking him to work in us that which he planned to do before the foundation of the world. In the word, where we hear about his holiness, where we see his holy character and his actions on display, 
where we are convicted of our own sin and so our life is held up like a mirror before the perfect holiness of God. As the psalmist wrote, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And also through fellowship with one another. As iron sharpens iron. As God has given us the body for the benefit of holding one another accountable, spurring one another on to love and good works. God has called us to a holy life. He hasn't called us to an easy life. And holiness doesn't always come easily. The desires of the flesh, the temptations of Satan will continue to fight. And therefore, we need to continue to fight to grow in our holiness as well. Remember when we had a sermon back on Philippians 2, 12 and 13? I'll just remind you of those verses again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. Because God is working in you, both to will and to work the things which are pleasing in his side, it says, work that work which God is working within you, work out that salvation, work it out to the externals. This will involve, as God has placed his spirit within us, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. God's Holy Spirit will continue to highlight things. The more we spend in time with him, the more we will see the nature of our sin and things that we need to bring before God for forgiveness and for transformation. I like one thing J.C. Ryle says. He says this. He says, The Christian and sin must quarrel. The Christian and sin must quarrel if the Christian and God to be friends. The Christian and the sin must quarrel if the Christian and God are to be friends. We need to fight against sin. So what now? Well, God has promised in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. He is committed to continuing to work within us to transform us to be more and more like his son. So continue to pursue the means he has given us. Pursue him in prayer, in praising him and worshiping him for his wonderful character. Calling him, pleading with him that he might transform us as he is called to do before the foundation of the world. Spend time in his word to, to see his character in action and to be convicted of our own sin. And to have fellowship with one another, to grow and shape one another together. That he might convict us, he might shape us, and he might transform us to be more like his son. Because it's part of his plan. Because we want people to see the Lord. Because it makes us more sensitive to sin and increases our evangelism and discipleship. And because we long to see him one day face to face. And as we go on in that pursuit, often we begin to weigh up our actions with verses like Hebrews 12, 1-2. Familiar verses which say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever noticed that before? In the very first verse it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin. It doesn't just say, let us lay aside every sin. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. And I fear sometimes when people look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, to weigh up their actions and their decisions, the question they ask of this passage is, is this decision I'm facing or is this action wrong or sinful? But I think a better and a right question to ask of this passage is, does this thing help me to run the race? Does it free me to run with Jesus, to grow in holiness? Or does it hinder me in my run with Jesus to grow in holiness? It may not be as clear cut as if it is this sinful or not, but does this help me in my pursuit of God? We want Jesus to be known. We want him to be glorified in all things. We want him to be working our character in such a way that is on display for all of the world around us. Because deep down, God has called us for holiness. We want a people to see the Lord as God is at work in and through his people. We want to be sensitive to our sin for our own spiritual benefit, for the discipleship of ourselves, and for those around us and for evangelism, and because we long, we long to see him face to face, where we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Let's give thanks and bring our request before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, whenever we even ponder the idea of holiness, our mind sort of goes uh, where Isaiah went, and we think, woe is me. For I am an unclean man. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your patience with us. But we thank you that you are constantly at work within us. We ask that we would be humble and willing subjects to be transformed, to be more like your son. Help us as we spend time in your word to see ourselves and to see our sin and to willingly bring those things before you and find it a joy to let go of the things which hinder us in our race with you. Thank you that you are perfect and holy. We thank you that you are working in us to that effect. And we thank you that one day that work will come to its completion when we see Jesus face to face. In his name we pray. Amen.